It's the Victorian Variety Show. I was taunted and sneered at so that I would not go home to my meals and used to stay in the streets with a hungry belly rather than return for anything to eat. What few half meals I did have, I was taunted with the remark, that's more than you have earned. Welcome to the Victorian Variety Show. My name is Marissa, and the excerpt I just read is from the autobiography of Joseph Carey Merrick. Merrick, who became known as the Elephant Man due to the abnormally large growths on his face, head, and many other parts of his body, became known for his appearances in London freak shows in the 1880s. I don't know about you, but in my case, freak shows are something I'm familiar with in theory, you might say. I'm a fan of the series Carnival that ran on HBO in the early 2000s, and although that series was set in the early 1930s, a number of regular characters were similar to the types of performers you were likely to find during the freak shows of the Victorian era, such as the bearded lady, the conjoined twins, uh, the reptilian man, characters like that were um, on the show. More recently, I've been watching Oddities and Oddities San Francisco on Discovery Plus, and these are so-called reality series on which you sometimes see sideshow performers and other self-proclaimed freaks make appearances, offering glimpses of their act in exchange for discounts at the shops where they're purchasing, I don't know, taxidermy or quack medical devices or whatnot. But these freak show throwbacks were not featured in the most mainstream of media. Carnival was canceled after only two seasons, which I was very unhappy about. And I don't believe either Oddity's show is running new episodes either, or has for several years. I suspect that for many of us, if you're interested in seeing a modern day equivalent of the Victorian freak show, you need to know where to look for it and much of it is geared more toward adults. It certainly is not a popular form of entertainment enjoyed by people of all ages and social classes, as it was throughout much of the Victorian era in both England and the States. Before I describe Victorian freak shows, however, because many of the individuals who were on public display in Victorian freak shows were born with disabilities or unusual medical conditions, and quite a few of them hailed from European colonies and other countries with troubled pasts, I want to stress that my intention in this episode is not to use the word freak in a negative way. This is especially important to emphasize because a number of aspects of Victorian freak shows are problematic, to say the least, when viewed from a modern-day perspective. According to Stuart Cameron, in an article that I'll include a link to in the notes called 19th Century Britain and the Rise of the Freak Show Industry, the individuals featured in these shows became known as freaks because, whether they were born with some unique characteristic or stood out by modifying their bodies or developing unusual talents, 
they were largely viewed as, quote, different and non-compliant with social ideas of normality, end quote. And as Cameron goes on to say, quote, as uncomfortable as the continued usage of the word freak may be, it is used solely on the grounds that there is no modern equivalent that accurately represents the diversity of the men and women involved within the shows, end quote. So even though we need to understand why the word is controversial, I am using it here in a purely historical context in conjunction with the phenomenon that was the Victorian freak show, and not to pass judgment. It's also important to emphasize that the freak show didn't exactly originate during the Victorian era. Shows in which individuals with physical abnormalities were displayed for the public existed in England since at least the 17th century. Lazarus and Johannes Baptista Coloredo, conjoined twins from Genoa, Italy, toured Europe during this time. And you were also likely to find giants, midgets, dwarves, very fat or very thin people, along with contortionists and other individuals with uncommon abilities, at displays and public gathering places such as fairs and taverns. However, the freak show came into its own as a formidable type of commercial entertainment in the 19th century, thanks largely to individuals like Tom Norman, aka the Silver King in London, and in the United States, P.T. Barnum. In the controversial Victorian freak shows, Patricia Haverton attributes this increase in popularity to a number of factors. Among them, the rise of photography and Charles Darwin's evolutionary theory. But also, as it turned out, these shows weren't expensive to produce. Cameron notes that they could be set up and dismantled quickly in places like community halls and pub back rooms, regardless of whether they were located in large cities or rural areas. As a result, low entry fees could be charged and the shows were open to a large cross-section of the public. In London, the Egyptian Hall in Piccadilly and the Royal Aquarium became popular venues for freak shows. But Norman's touring show also captivated large numbers of people, particularly his Whitechapel show, which featured the aforementioned Merrick. Across the Atlantic, Barnum became known for producing similar types of shows and, per Haverton, for creating larger-than-life and often fabricated backstories for his subjects in order to bring in larger crowds. However, it was common for promoters of these shows in general to go to great lengths to emphasize the uniqueness of their talent leading some modern scholars to describe the shows as exploitative, and for good reason. As Norman explained in his memoirs, quote, There was a time in my career as a showman when I would exhibit any mortal thing for money. There were always large crowds who were only too eager to pay and see anything that aroused their curiosity, no matter how repulsive or how demoralizing." End quote. As you might imagine, however, 
There is some debate among scholars as to just how exploitative these shows were. The sad reality is that a number of the individuals displayed in freak shows, including Merrick, were for the most part not able to work due to how they looked. And according to Wikipedia, freak show promoters often took advantage of their talent's limitations by forcing them to work long hours. Also, it is difficult to deny that the popularity of the freak show emphasized a sense of quote-unquote otherness among audience members. In Missing Links, the Victorian freak show, Esme Cleal cites Rosemary Garland Thompson, a literary theorist who has argued that, quote, by marketing disabled individuals as different and by members of the public going along to stare at, delight in, and possibly ridicule freaks, ordinary men and women came to understand a fundamental distinction between those who looked and those who were looked at, the non-disabled and the disabled, end quote. In addition, Clayal explains that some of the displays in these shows promoted disturbing views of race and colonialism. After all, Britain was building a worldwide empire during this time, and unfortunately, a lot of its citizens were becoming familiar with non-white individuals primarily through media representations and freak shows often tried to appeal to crowds by highlighting this type of difference of performers. A good example of this, I think, is the case of Creo, a young girl from Southeast Asia who was exhibited at the London Aquarium in the 1880s due to the thick, dark hair that covered her body. The pamphlets telling of her so-called discovery by the great Farini, which was the stage name of one William Leonard Hunt, referred to her as the so-called missing link between animals and humans, and painted the conditions out of which Farini quote-unquote rescued Crow as uncivilized. The otherness emphasized by the Victorian freak show also was disturbing in a scientific sense. In On the Emergence of the Freak Show in Britain, Nadia Durbach notes that mid-19th century medical professionals increasingly attempted to differentiate between normal and abnormal bodies, and that, quote, freak performers thus often provided a nascent medical profession with its raw material, end quote. However, others have pointed out that dismissing freak shows as purely exploitative is also problematic. According to Essie Fox in The Victorians Loved a Freak Show, the freak show offered its acts some degree of peace as, quote, the reality of the outside world could be hostile and very cruel, end quote. I think we saw that by the example of the quote from Merrick that I used at the beginning of this episode. Also, Haverton explains that financially, quote, the entertainers often fared better than their management end quote, due to what they earned from the shows themselves and freak show memorabilia. For instance, trading cards became popular, and some performers, such as Isaac Sprague, aka the American Human Skeleton, put together biographies for pamphlets that were sold at shows. However, as Cameron points out, 
it is important to remember that the popularity of many of these performers depended mostly upon how the promoters marketed them, and that so-called marketing consisted of highlighting how different they were from the crowds that flocked to see them. As I suggested at the beginning of this episode, freak shows and similar forms of entertainment didn't disappear at the end of the Victorian era, but they began to fall out of favor in the early 20th century due to several factors. In the freak show empire across Victorian London, Harry Rosehill attributes this this decline in popularity largely to the rise of the social reform movement which helped to make people more aware of how these shows were portraying their performers, and also in many cases more sympathetic toward those performers. Also, an article called The History of the Freak Show and the Legendary Freaks Who Promoted the Popular Attractions from AlteredDimensions.net explains that many freak shows attracted rowdy crowds, particularly in London, and as a result, police and magistrates increasingly tried to close them down. Plus, the popularity of cinema in the early 20th century and, somewhat later on, television, led freak shows to face stiff competition that hadn't existed in the previous century. As a result, by the 1950s, the freak show became, for the most part, a rarity in itself not often seen outside of places like Coney Island in New York and the Jim Rose Circus, which became popular in the 1990s due in part to its inclusion in Lollapalooza music tours and fringe and comedy festivals. That's my introduction to the Victorian Freak Show. Much more could be said about it, but for now, I think we can see how it helped to shape our modern views of disability and other forms of difference. Unfortunately, despite the heightened awareness of and increased sympathy toward individuals with disabilities in recent years, I do think stigmas still exist, and the tendency for humans to be drawn to media representations and real-life events that highlight individuals with visible differences, which was famously lampooned by Punch magazine in an 1847 cartoon called Deformitomania, can still be seen today. I'm thinking of the popularity of the Jerry Springer show and programs of that ilk, but there are many more examples. This may sound corny, but in a sense, studying freak shows encourages us to take a closer look at what many of us consider quote-unquote normal in our own societies, and in some cases, really should cause us to rethink those attitudes. I'm interested in finding out what you think. Please email me at thevictorianvarietyshow at gmail.com. And also, please give me a follow on Twitter at at VictorianVariety1. I also have a Buy Me a Coffee page for this and my other podcast, Marissa's Wicked Word Nosh, which you can find at www.buymeacoffee.com slash MarissaDF13. And finally, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening as it'll help a lot more people find out about this show. 
thanks so much for listening. I will be back in two weeks with a brand new episode about some aspect of life during the Victorian era that I think is worth exploring. But in the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a quote attributed to P.T. Barnum that I found online. A number of websites that I came across portray Barnum as someone with excellent advice for succeeding in business and life in general, which I think kind of echoes what I was just saying about how the freak show can teach us a lot about what we consider normal and successful and that type of thing. And, you know, maybe help us rethink a few things as well. That said, I do think there's some wisdom in this statement of Barnum's, and maybe you will too. Dr. Franklin says, it is the eyes of others and not our own eyes which ruin us. If all the world were blind except myself, I should not care for fine clothes or furniture.